Hey everybody, we're joined today by Chris Wynn, whose work Cape of Spirits won the 2018 Webtoon Discovery Contest. She currently produces fictional skin for Webtoon Originals, a drama series told from the view of Finn, a closeted nerd who loves drawing comics, and his cousin Vivi, an outgoing student who jarringly finds that the new guy at school is just like a character out of a video game, and maybe more than just a lookalike. We had an amazing discussion with Chris, and to preview the episode, Chris talks about the beginning of her career working with Monty Um on the acclaimed web series Ruby, gives us a behind the scenes account of what it was like to win the webtoon contest in 2018, divulges her weekly process for fictional skin, and also gives us an honest assessment of how working for webtoon originals has changed since her first original series and what creators should know before becoming an originals creator. Here's Chris. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on here. Yes, we are very, very excited to have you. Lots of questions about fictional skin and Cape mm -hmm. of Spirits. But before we get started with all of that, do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so uh, my name is Chris, Chris Nguyen, um, and I'm the creator of Fictional Skin and Cape of Spirits on uh, Webtoon Original. And how did you come up with Haku as your pen name? <laughs> so I've had this pen name since the olden days of the internet. Because, <laughs> uh, let's see, I've had this nickname since, I believe, 2004, DeviantArt days. Mm. And I was, like, uh, in high school. And then, like, at the time, my, my friends and I, we kind of gave each other nicknames. There was someone else in our friend group that had the same name as me. So we're like, oh, let's just give each other nicknames. Mm. So it would be easier. And then we watched Spirit Away. <laughs> and uh, Haku came from it. And also Naruto Haku. Like, also, there's a character from there. And then, mm. so, uh, we all kind of decided, like, that was, I guess, a cool name for me. But it kind of kept staying because I guess back then uh, it wasn't really safe to, you know, use your, your real name on the internet. Mm. Um, so that kind of just stayed for a while until like friends in real life started calling me that because I would like go to conventions with that name or like attend or sell at Artist Alley. Um, yeah. And then, you know, as I started making like in real life friends, it just kind of, I also used to cosplay a lot. Uh, mm. So that was kind of like, the name I went under. So it just stayed, kind of stayed for like years somehow. And then I think like once Webtoon happened, I was, I think I was like, okay, I kind of want to um, put my own work under my real name. I don't know why I found this funny, but I, I noticed that online you have Hakuku and Hukaka. <laughs> <laughs> Can yeah, you tell yeah. us a little more about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like, it was because one of my high school friends would always add the extra ku at the end. <laughs> like, it's a cute thing, like Hakuku, Kuku, you know? So yeah, I kind of made that like my username online. And then on Instagram, Hakuku was taken. So <laughs> that's why I put Hukaka. <laughs> I don't know why I saw that. Like that's that's what I figured. But I'm like I thought it was fun. Yeah, and I like I I made on Twitter in live draw. I'm like an old. I'm like uh, I guess this this kind of exposed my age. But I was like I I first got Twitter like 2009, and I was like in live journal and everything. So like mm -hmm. Hakuku is my username. But once like Instagram, I got Instagram. I think in 2012, the username was taken, mm -hmm. and I used Instagram back then more as like a personal account, like never for like art also until like webtoon happened <laughs> yeah that's like i guess that's the, the the origin story behind that and how did you get into comics so i've i've always been into comics since i would say like third grade-ish i was actually really into calvin hobbs back then mm. that was like kind of the access of comic i had and then eventually like one of my older cousins introduced me into like manga and then so I think uh, there was like a really small selection back then. Uh, so I kind of just read whatever that was like around. But then that kind of got me more interested into um, the manga comic book style. And I guess from there, I just kind of kept digesting more manga back then. And I that got me interested into like drawing comics. Originally, mm -hmm. like the comics itself was got me into drawing. But it, it was definitely originally like Calvin Hobbes because my, my friends during like Recess would uh we would do like read-alongs with each other it's kind of cute oh cool yeah 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 um which I kind of put a little bit of that I don't I don't remember if I put that in fictional skin but kind of something similar we would just always like do read-alongs or like draw comics together in recess mm. um so that, that was kind of cool 
So you mentioned, you mentioned Calvin and Hobbes as a big yeah. influence for you. What, what other stories that you read when you were younger, do you think really influenced either your stories today or your art style? Let's see. I, I know like the earliest influences of manga um, were definitely Sailor Moon and all the Clamp comics. Mm. And then eventually like when I got like in my high school years, it was definitely like that golden era of Shonen Jump comics. Mm. So that's when I started getting more into like action shonen comics because that was like when uh, they started officially licensing Bleach, Naruto, One Piece. And then that was like the one thing I asked my parents to, I wanted to subscribe to it. So like we would actually get delivered a thick, you know, the thick Shonen Jump magazine or whatever they called it back then uh, once a yeah. month. <laughs> and then it wasn't until like a couple years later, then they're like scanlation, like scanlation groups were forming online. And that was like the way I was like accessing all my comics <laughs> before it was like super old school. How would you describe your uh, art style? I would say my art style kind of changed a lot throughout the years, but I think currently it's very simple mm. and like I hope would easy to read. So uh, I try not to focus on one little detail too much, like hair or face. I try to distribute the focus of details because I like to mm. emphasize the acting of the character especially um, in comics but when I used to do more like illustration work that it would be a little different for sure. Yeah I'd love to talk a little bit more about your development as an artist and before you you took the leap to become a creator um, mm -hmm. you talk about this uh, one of your episodes in the canvas version of Fictional Skin mm. is you talking about your background how much you know, you worked very closely with Monty, who's most famous for being the creator of Ruby. Yeah. You talk about the leap that you made, the craziness behind the story mm -hmm. of you winning the, co the contest for Webcam. There's a lot to pack into here, but I'd love to yes. talk a little bit about just working closely and learning um, from someone like Monty. What was that experience like for you? Yeah. So working with Monty is pretty interesting because how we originally met was through mutual friends mm. and it was through anime conventions and cosplay again so it's kind of cosplay was the one that connected us I was a, a big fan of his his dead fantasy stuff I believe he wanted to bring me on Ruby more for production art because that was what well, was kind of my focus in art college was like background design concept art production work but working with him he basically gave me a lot of flexibility which was really mm. nice Let's see. I, I think I started working with them spring of 2013. And I think by the end of 2013 was when they um, uploaded Ruby season one. Before that, he gave me a lot of, he gave me references, but a lot of flexibility on what the school beacon to look like. Because he, he looked at my portfolio that I did for school. And he's like, I like that style. Can you make something like that before my stuff, <laughs> for my series? I'm like, yeah, sure. And, and it was sort of, I, I was doing a little freelance before that, but I was still kind of not that experienced back then because I only graduated not so long before he, he got me into Ruby. And originally I wanted to put it together a portfolio for like storyboarding yeah. um, for, for animation, but, and I'm used to working for clients that that's a lot more specific in what they want. But I think for him, because he saw like, he saw the specific style he wanted. I think he was the same thing with the character designer, um, I'm Lee. He was like, you know, I really like your style. And here's like, kind of like this vague, he'll be vague in some areas and very precise on like other types of designs. Mm. Uh, and I know further along in Ruby, like season two, he wanted me to design like another uh, four person group. And he told me like he wanted to, he wanted them based off of this, this K-pop group, Big Bang. Because <laughs> mm. he was, he was huge into Big Bang. So he was like, <laughs> I want this to look like top. I want this person to look like D-Dragon, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it's like working with him. And I know um, other projects too. I think I, I did like one promotional poster for season two and I had to do it in like in a day and a half <laughs> and he was just like just just do just do what you think looks good I'm like oh uh, <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try but yeah I think in that sense it, it's really fun working with him I know like he's a little different when it comes to his animation team because that was 
like his forte that was what he was super mm. experienced at and like he was the lead of that group and he was very 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 specific about how he wanted his animators to to animate certain scenes especially the action shots so i know like that field he he's different in terms of working with but i think in terms of like the, the production art and illustration he he likes to leave it up to the artist a bit more mm. um so yeah that, it was pretty cool what do you think you learned most from that experience i guess i learned more how to communicate mm. with, the, with with them because i know in school it's you know you're given like an assignment uh, and you're supposed to just do it the best you can but like i guess in a in some places like a studio or even with Rooster Teeth or Monty, it's mm. it's best to just keep asking questions until they you can figure out what they want. Mm. Um, I think before I was probably kind of shy about it. And then eventually it definitely helps around season two when they when they actually I had to work in-house in Texas that I got a lot better. And it was a lot easier for me to just like kind of get up and ask questions to mm. whoever I was working with because by by season two, I had to work with the um, the 3D modelers a lot more closely. Mm. Um, so that was that was actually a cool experience, like working a lot more close to because the I had to work with the modelers to design like whatever I, I was designing for them in terms of like either mm. backgrounds or or props. So I guess in that sense, that's what I got the most out of. Mm. I want to start to talk about you know your original work uh, and in yep. your background story comic that you make. You mentioned how Monty says, I don't expect you to work for me forever. You should think about doing your own thing. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, you entering this contest. I mean, just emotionally as an artist, what was it like for you to go through that and to actually, you know, submit your work to that contest? Oh, it was kind of insane. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of insane because I believe I was going to an anime convention, which was Anime NYC. Mm. And I had to finish my last episode for the contest right before I, my plane takes off for the convention. So yeah, in that sense, I actually finished a couple days earlier than the other contestants because I had no choice. <laughs> yeah. um, and I stayed up. I think I almost did an all-nighter trying to finish my episode for that. I didn't expect results so quick mm. in the middle of New York. So I think that's why that built up was kind of like a lot for me. I was expecting to like know like way later, you know, and it was kind of overwhelming because they did that whole like phone call thing. <laughs> they try to catch me on camera. And it was cool because like after the announcement happened, I got like, when I was tabling at Anime NYC, um, I had people come up to me in person, like, you know, congratulating me, which was kind of cool because you don't get that like in person at least. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like, and then like going back to Monty is just, I mean, even without the contest, I started Fictional Skin regardless if I thought it was going to be like a like a published thing or not, like a um, contracted published thing. I just kind of, I did it because I wanted to. It was just kind of one of those moments where it's like, okay, like it's kind of now or never. Mm. I'm just going to give it a shot. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, then I'll just go back to trying storyboarding, <laughs> you know, yeah. and putting that portfolio together. <laughs> so you know, you started Cape of Spirit in, it seems like, you know, the first episodes went out in early 2019. Uh, yes. You know, in that little story, you talk about, you, know, you couldn't submit fictional skin, even though, like you said, it's something that you've always wanted to do. So how does it feel to get fictional skin out there as an original story? It was really exciting. Uh, honestly, during Cape of Spirits, it was hard for me to not think about going back to fictional skin. <laughs> it didn't help also because there's like two jinseis in both stories. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever people brought up the two, it, it kind of like remind me like a fictional skin was still there unfinished. I literally remember the day I finished the last episode of Cave Spirits that I was just like so happy that, yeah. you know, I can actually return to it, you know, that I can actually like go back to 100% focusing on it. Because I know I, I know if I started to think about just even going back to fictional skin during when I was working on Cape of Spirits, I would like lose focus. <laughs> on Cape of Spirits, uh, you know, and I, I wanted to do a good job on Cape of Spirits too. So I just kind of like held on. For Fictional Skin, you touch on some pretty heavy themes. Yeah. I guess, what was your story creation process for Fictional Skin? You talked about like, it's a story that you wanted to tell for a long time. Why do you think you gravitated towards some heavier things? Because obviously on yeah. 
webtoon, there's a wide range of different stories that are told. Yeah, most of the heavy themes kind of geared towards Jinsei's character. He's a very complex character. Like without saying too much about him, what's coming up about him, there's going to be a lot more things that we're going to see about his character that kind of, it's also like really hard to describe his character because I'm very strict on on whose narrative voice I want in fictional skin. Mm. So what that means is that if you can tell it, I want the reader to feel like they're in Vivi's or Finn's shoes only, mm. just strictly them, which means we'll, we will actually never see what happened literally on Jinsei's side in his point mm. of view, if that makes sense. Because for instance, you see other comics, like sometimes point of views will jump between uh, this character and then that, that character. This one, I want to build up that sense of uh, mystery and speculation with uh, the characters Vivi and Finn, which does narrow the storytelling style a lot. But I think it's really interesting because it kind of it kind of brings me back. Um, so I relay a lot of things to my childhood, my own childhood and fictional skin, right? In mm-hmm. terms of like what games were popular back then, uh, or like the days of instant messaging. Mm. And so I like to portray, I want to portray how different communication was back then because the communication now is very convenient for many people, right? Like every Mm. single person has a smartphone. So it's very easy to just take a picture or upload whatever you want on social media. But Mm. back then in the early 2000s, it was solely just, I think at least in this point of story and fictional skin, there was no such thing as like, a, you know, like a social media type of thing. There might've been like forums, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, um, and then later, like later in the story, I did a little sneak peek of this in the very first episode of Fictional Skin. There's a, a chat room scene mm. and that will, yeah, that's going to happen later in the story, but that's going to happen a little later because that's when the characters will start instead of emailing each other, mm. you know, uh, for canvas readers that that happens in the originals, that's going to happen soon. Um, when they all, when the characters start emailing each other. And then the next step from that was instant messaging, which to me, I remember was like a huge, big deal. It was a big deal to (laughs) a lot of um, kids around that time, because, you know, now you don't have to rely on uh, a phone call to get, get in contact with your friends. You know, we still had like limited internet back then. You can't sometimes like, you know, internet's on the same line as the phone line. It's still... It's still yeah. like uh, Wi-Fi didn't exist yet, which is crazy. So it was still limited, but it's still like, it, it's going to be a big deal when things start becoming a lot more like instant back and forth, especially to mm. to characters who can't, let's say like Jinsei and, and Finn, who can't communicate face-to-face or even yeah. Vivi and um, Finn because they live in two different states, right? Like yeah. California and Hawaii. So that's going to bring like a different level of communication in the story. Mm. Okay, I'm, I'm excited to see how that all uh, plays yeah. out. Uh, in terms of creative process, there's two different things I want to dig into here. The first, what's your process when you come up with a new story? Paper Spirits was kind of easier to come up with because it kind of came from fictional skin. That one, I kind of had the idea of Paper Spirits, but I actually had uh, my friend who helped me kind of flesh out the writing yeah. for Cape of Spirits. Um, so she was also involved in the, in the contest with me as well. She was a lot more better and more experienced in writing uh, world building. Well, I like to come up with character dynamics instead. So, and actually like the reason why I, I kind of mentioned somewhere in my comics that I never would expect to make Cape of Spirits into a, a comic. Cause mm-hmm. to be honest, that's not my forte, like fantasy action comics. Mm. Uh, <laughs> So, which is why it was kind of crazy to me that the first thing that I get officially contracted for was a fantasy action comic. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and that comic, in that sense, the comic was like the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but I, I learned a lot from it, at least. And I can't really focus on um, developing any other stories because I know if I get way too too deep into a new story, I can't. I lose focus on what I'm already working on. I, I'm not like good at multitasking in terms of stories. So I'd rather, I like to focus one thing at a time because I want to put in like 100% of my effort into mm. um, what I'm currently working on. And whatever that, that comes up, maybe I'll just put it in like the back burner, like in a list or somewhere and be like, okay, I'll mm. go back to that later and 
flesh it out if if uh if I'm interested in it. In the canvas version of fictional skin, did you have basically the Cape of Spirits characters and concept in there? Because now reading fictional skin, that's like a fun little Easter egg. But yeah, did you have that concept before? And then when the contest came around, were you like, oh, what ha- what would happen if I just expanded this world for my story? Is that kind of how it went down? Yeah, kind of. So you know, like for Cape of Spirits, the the characters Jinsei and Katsuro already needed to exist, right? Mm. So um, they they already existed, and the side characters you see in Cape of Spirits, they kind of existed in Fictional Skin too, but not as fleshed out. Mm. Um, and then I had my writer helped me flesh out the side characters a lot more for Cape of Spirits. So. Uh, long story short, like I had a big hand in what how I wanted Jinsei and Katsuru to like develop, but then mm. she had a much bigger hand in how the side characters can develop. So and then that helped me a lot when um, producing Cape of Spirit. So now like with the the fictional skin reboot, it's it's a lot more cool that now there's a whole context behind those characters. I can put yeah. more Easter eggs because you know Finn Finn's favorite character is one side character, um, Kane. So now there's like a whole, now she's like fully developed. Um, yeah. I, it's really cool to see readers kind of be like, oh yeah, like I know that character too. I'm also yeah. a fan, you know, instead of like this non-existent character that he's like a fan of. So uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's definitely fun, fun to see. And in terms of your weekly process, what does that look like? Obviously being a Webtoons uh, originals creator, it's really, really hard and it's demanding and you're putting a lot of work out there. So what's your weekly process to make sure that things kind of stay in order and stay on time? Yeah, I usually have a chunk of my story beats written out before the large part of the production start. So let's say like before a season starts, I'll try to write about 15 episodes of like a summary of each episode. Yeah. And the summary of each episode can range between two to four sentences, like a big paragraph. And then um, from there, like weekly, um, the first day would usually be writing the script out. And then after that, I would format the um, episode. So I usually like to separate my scripts by panel lines. So I'll be like panel one and then script line, panel two, Mm. script line. And then even like in action, like let's say like this character, you know, drinks a cup of water that would be panel four right mm, so this yeah. this helps me break down how many panels um, I need to draw because this part is really important to me or else I end up drawing too many, too much more than necessary <laughs> I just try to um, break it down as much as possible I, I I try not to worry too much about the limit until I finish it and then I go back and start editing down so at least I try not to run into the wall of running out of the point too fast, right? So like, what if I accidentally end up with 60 panels, but I haven't even reached the ending I wanted yet, you know? Cause mm. I know like I, I want to, the episode to end on a certain part, um, which is, I feel like should be the most impactful, you know? And there has been quite a few times where I do have to be uh, like, I'm gonna have to move to the next episode. So how can I make the <laughs> new ending just as important, right? Cause and it's, it's also between choice of, well, I can draw 20 more panels, whatever, right? And that, that's definitely bitten me in the butt a lot, because mm. especially Cape of Spirits, I've drawn many episodes where it's way over the panel count. Now, like when I, when I do that now, I'll try to make up for it by doing a shorter episode the next episode. So I'm not doing like two or three long episodes back to back. Usually like the episodes that has the most dialogue can afford to be a little shorter. Um, because the uh, readers do read a little slower the more dialogue is but it can't be Mm -hmm. like too much you know it can't be like overwhelming Mm -hmm. Um, whereas like a more action-based episode especially in Cape of Spirits each episode would be so long but it would be consumed very fast Um, so yeah so after I, I lay out my episode which is laying down each each script line and then laying down all the panel boxes so that would take between a day and a half and then I start storyboarding um, which takes another day and then I clean up the boards and send half of it to my uh, inking assistant and I reuse a lot of head assets I think you'll, you'll see a lot of creators do this to save time 
but mm. we we definitely reuse a lot of like liner assets that we drawn in the past and basically they're just heads and for me i i like i remove the the face and just like paste down like the angle of the head i want and and draw like the expression i want mm. um, yeah but because uh this makes it easier for me to hire in inking assistant that might not have the same style as me but as long as the head in the face is like yeah. it's my style like the rest can be okay you know what i mean yeah like, yeah. yeah people because people will focus on the, the face a lot more when did you start like kind of with with that technique that, that seems like a very clever way to help you produce panels more quickly yeah i think i started at the end of Cape of Spirit season one. So I think that was like sometime in 2019, like the end of 2019. Hmm. Um, and then like from there, I just started saving all the like, like, okay, this head looks good. I'm going to save that. And then eventually I started saving entire poses. <laughs> um, it's, it's a lot easier to do that. Like if a character pose is just, they're just standing or they're doing a very hmm. typical um, like action pose. I think down the line, I can afford to make episodes a little longer just because I can, I have all these like assets saved up. And I would also re save all the backgrounds I draw too. So I would like draw them all first. And if, if, uh, if I know the scene is going to be reoccurring in future episodes, then I would, I know I can just like kind of reuse and, or just re-edit a little bit to, to save a lot of time. So yeah, after like the inking phase, then I, I give Pretty much almost all the episodes to uh, all the pages to my colorist to do the flats mm. and that goes around two days inking for me can take like two days or even more mm. and in color the depends on the coloring it take about um two days for the season two and then the final day is just like final edits putting like the final fancy touches and then just putting like for fictional skin um the background face is a lot easier because like i'm the, the style of this of the comic is a lot is a lot more um lighthearted yeah um so you could see a lot of panels are just like like one color backgrounds or just gradients or even no background so that's a lot easier to me to do while in like keep it spirits it like the final phase actually took me really long because i had to do so much like action special effects mm, in it. Yeah. um yeah and motion blur things or just make things like amped up with um shiny you know shiny effects so and that process can take i mean the ideal time is like five to six days but lately it's been taking a little longer that for than that because uh sometimes muscle pains <laughs> uh come up and that, that just happens you know i think um i've learned to just slow down whenever that happens and not kind of panic over that yeah, we we've seen a few artists deal with that. Is there are there any other tips or things that you've found? Because um, obviously, you know, writers uh, getting hurt or injured is is definitely something we've seen. Do you have any yeah. tips for them? Oh man, because I, I feel like I've tried um, kind of almost almost everything, like changing my work setup, changing like um, the way I even draw or the setup of my desk. Uh, I've even I went to see a physical therapist for a year but honestly the thing that helped me the most was taking breaks which I know not many people can afford to do so it's a little hard to for me to just say take more breaks and the only thing that allowed me to take more breaks is because I made like the chalkiest buffer ever <laughs> before mm -hmm. I launched fictional skin before and during Cape Spirits my buffer would be like maybe four episodes maybe six per season. Mm -hmm. uh, but before I launched Fictional Skin, I believe I finished about 18 episodes first before we launched and six of those episodes went up. So I believe that's 12 episodes. Mm -hmm. I had about 11 to 12 episodes of Buffer, which is about three to four months of work, which is, which is a lot, you know? Yeah. So in that way, like I can take my time in that sense. I don't, I don't need to worry about finishing four episodes a month. I can maybe do like three or three and a half episodes a month. And like, even now, like the, la the last episode that I just finished took me almost two weeks because like, I was like kind of like in pain. But I was like, okay, I'm just going to stop and actually like take a break. And then because of that, you know, it got a lot better. And I think also my age, I just don't recover <laughs> as fast <laughs> anymore. I don't like, 
even like four years ago, I would draw so much. I'd be like, oh yeah, it's no problem. I could draw for like 12 hours straight, right? And then now I can't, mm -hmm. I can't do that. I can't do that anymore. There's just no way. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I'm glad you're, you're able to take steps you need because yeah. as I said, it, it, it does suck when we hear that uh, artists are, are getting hurt in the process of doing what they love. And we know it's really, really hard to, yeah. to put out things that we, like you said, it, it takes you, you know, a week, two weeks. And I like, I fly through it very happily, yeah. but I, I read the episode very quickly. Yeah. You are now a two-time Originals creator, which is, it's it's a big deal. It's a huge uh, accomplishment. What do you think has changed as you now start your, your second time as an Originals creator? What do you think have been the biggest changes since 2019, 2018? I think in terms of myself, it's taking more breaks, having like a gigantic buffer to, to kind of cushion those breaks and um also because fictional skin is a reboot it's a lot easier for me this time because i'm just basically kind of mm. redrawing everything um i don't have mm -hmm. to worry as much making things totally from scratch even though i i do want to introduce a, like some new elements to the reboot yeah that, those are like the main changes from a personal level yeah on a personal level i think on in terms of the the platform, there's definitely, I, I, I know like you guys brought this up on your Instagram about like the influx of mm -hmm. like um, saturation of comics. Yeah. That definitely is the biggest difference from when I launched in 2019 between now. And I know like Webtoon has, has started to license and publish a lot more comics starting from last year, I believe, mm -hmm. at like a big rate. So I think in that sense, for me, I feel kind of lucky because I already have pre-existing readers, mm -hmm. whether from Escape of Spirits or from old fans of fictional skin. But I do know like if I launched a completely new series now, it would have been a lot harder to gain new readers or visibility compared to um, you know, 2019. Even 2018, 17 Canvas days was a lot easier to gain visibility. Mm. I think it's just kind of a natural progression in terms of uh, more people joining the platform, mm -hmm. but that's on the Canvas side, right? I think on the original side, it's it grew too fast. Mm. I do think that they need to kind of change their platform to adapt. Now they have such a variation of comics, they mm. need to figure out a way to have people access those new comics a lot better, you know, change the UI, change the website, like, uh, sometimes I look at what other webcomic sites are doing or even pirated sites. Mm -hmm. I try not to read pirate comics at all, but like I, I just kind of, yeah. I like to kind of observe how they can have a bigger reach to like the comics they have. And they're actually pretty good at it, you know? What do you think they do well? Because obviously, you know, it's not good for creators, but a lot of people still use pirate sites. Yeah. Well, they have a tagging system. Uh... So the tagging system helps a lot if you have, especially if you have a lot of comics, right? So like if you tag and Webtoon, we don't have a tagging system. We just have, we have one comic under two, at most two genres. That's it. But there's a lot more about these comics than just those two genres it's under, right? Especially like, let's say, because... Mm -hmm the their romance and fantasy section is probably the biggest but they have different mm -hmm. types of fantasy comics on there they have different types of romance comics yeah yeah i think they're trying to do a, an algorithm based thing where it's like if you read this one comic this comic might um show up in your notifications but the problem is i i think a lot of people turn off their notifications they need um a way like an in-app redirection like while the person's already there in app be like so for instance i i go to like when i go on manta comics i open this one comic and in the summary right under the summary it says if you like this comic you'll like these and they'll list mm. like three or four comics pretty similar to the summary of the comic i just read which which is an in-app uh, redirection that alone made me want to read like or just explore all these other comics I would have not found on the front page of the app so I think I I don't know why webtoon has not <laughs> it, it like their app I feel like this is more a personal opinion of mine but I feel like they mm -hmm. their current way the UI only worked like you know years ago 2017 18 but it's barely been mm -hmm. it's just kind of been updated since then, like their mobile app has been updated a bit, their web page barely, 
But I think to, if they want to keep releasing so many new titles every month, they need to accommodate that in a way that makes it easier to um, discover these new comics, you know, because I see kind of like these other sites kind of in a way like, you know, they still won't have the reach as Webtoon, but they'll still like in a way outperform in terms of like trying to um, redirect the traffic to their readers. That's my personal opinion, though. Yeah, you do talk about the importance of discovery. And in four years, it can be a very, very different world in terms of an artist building their own audience. Yeah. Are there other changes or things that you want to see different from the Webtoon uh, industry at large? It's kind of hard. I can kind of understand the changes they're making in a business point of view. But I think they are kind of realizing some of these changes might be shooting themselves in the foot because... Like, I think I already kind of brought, said it already about the serialization of so many, uh, or the launches of so many comics a month. I want them to, I would like to see them kind of organize their launches in a way that appeals more to the readers they're trying to reach. And that has a lot to do with marketing, for example. I know like they're la- they, they hype up their launch weeks to kind of garner attention into this solely focused week, right? But the problem is Mm -hmm. it's so much, they've done so much in one day that it gives reader fatigue, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think at this point, a lot of people are familiar with like how how interesting, a lot of people just can't keep up with comics anymore. So I would love if they kind of lessen that. I think they did lessen the launch week amount of series this month. And my theory is because they made a couple of big collaborative launches this month and probably want to give room to that. I think like uh, Mm -hmm. DC collab went up, um, some other collab big projects was launched this month. And well, I don't know. I feel like if, and I could be wrong in this, you know, but instead of like launching 20 series in one week, how about like a little bit more spread out? So Mm -hmm. they're a lot more focused and there's more breathing room, right? Because I feel like as, as a reader, like let's say if I was just merely a reader, I would kind of get the comics kind of confused. And I feel like a lot of people would be really interested in all the series coming out. They would probably bookmark it, but they will probably not go back into it, <laughs> go back and like check their list because mm-hmm. they're trying to catch up to like the previous launch week, right? So they just have a huge queue of comics, maybe half people will read. And Webtoon tries to make up for it by doing like these coin events to remind people, hey, these comics exist. But I I think it contributes to a a false, false statistics because some people will just read some of these comics for the sake of getting coins to read the actual comic they want. Yeah. so it, in my eyes, it's a little messy. I think it just could be more organized, uh, more distributed, like in a way that gives like a fair amount of marketing promotion time to each comics because that's how it it used to be in 2019 like sometimes mm-hmm. there would be only two series launching that month but it would be every week i used to remember almost every single comic that launched back then and now i like it's it's, it's impossible so i i think like this is more like my speculation they could just be trying to meet a quota of, of like series they're trying to launch mm-hmm. but i think in my p- opinion it's just kind of giving more um, like reader fatigue and then Mm -hmm. the engagement of the statistics won't be as like impactful as it was you know just even like two years ago Mm. yeah I I can go on forever about this you know because I've seen it like from two different series how different it is so you can kind of feel the the difficulty in in building the audience I'm curious in terms of what webtoon looks for in a story do you think that has changed drastically or it's similar themes of things that they look for that's a good question. I think it, it cha- they change what they look for, for sure. I know there has been instances where they'll say to a creator, oh, we're not looking for a story like that right now, but maybe in this timeline. And that's like the most vague I can put it. Sometimes oh, there will be like, hey, we're ha- we want to launch these type of series are kind of similar in theme, you know, mm-hmm. so they'll kind of focus on that. And it all depend- also depends on the editor, how much they're vouching for a series despite of what Webtoon is looking for. And I don't know how much has that changed if some of the picks are a lot more editor-based based on their preferences. I know it used to be that way during my my first series. It was much more editorially driven, you think? Yeah, for sure. They don't shy away from more niche stories back then. But I think I now, I think it's a little harder to give niche stories a chance because I think, I believe there's a little more risk to it now. 
And I think, I think they shot themselves in the foot for not giving visibility to niche series. Because if they want to promote niche series, like let's say if they want to expand their action genre, right? Mm -hmm. And they're trying to do that with their call to action contest. And they're trying to license a bunch of action comics. At the same time, you know, they're, they're trying to expand their reader base. They, they want to expand like uh, the demographic of their platform. I believe they need to push harder than they currently are to gather more readers interested in, in that genre. They can't just post and be done with it. Right, they just need to post and mm. can like ad campaign the shit out of that. Like mm-hmm. put ads of that on like YouTube, Twitch, everywhere. And I don't think the contest is enough for that. The contest, I feel, like more for action. creators, not for readers. Uh, my fear is that because action is a lot harder, like the the smaller genres like action, horror, or thriller and such could definitely be expanded. But there's already such a small demographic for that on, on Webtoon. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you grow that demographic in the first place, right? The series of these genres need to be marketed so much that people just have to realize these exist and then interest in it. Almost to the point they have to be annoying about it. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's like, it's like Instagram and Facebook ads, for example, are kind of like that. They're really annoying. But at the same time, you, you kind of remember them because <laughs> yeah. they, they come up so many times. But I don't see that with these other genres they they keep saying they're trying to expand on. They're doing like almost the bare minimum, in my opinion. You know, maybe they are trying mm. somewhere. In the meantime, they're still promoting like their top comics because that's what brings in the revenue, which I understand from a business point of view, you know. Yeah. They know they can take a risk in experimenting with how they're marketing things, but I don't like how they're doing it at the cost of creators. In terms of building an audience, one of the things that creators can control, and it's becoming more and more important, is building an audience on social media. So you have a pretty large following of over 30,000 followers on Instagram. Like, can you talk a little bit about how that came up and how that has supported you, especially Mm -hmm. when, you know, in the past four years, like, obviously there are more readers, but like you said, there's way more stories. It's hard to get people's attention on these stories. Um, Has it been helpful for you to have this bank of readers or how have you kind of gotten around some of the issues that we've talked about rather? Yeah. So I think in terms of my followers, I've, because I've had these social media accounts for so long, my growth is pretty slow, which was fine Mm -hmm. because I've never, before Webtoon, I never counted on social media in terms of like my art career. Mm. So like outside of social media, I had to do a lot of outside networking for my career and once Webtoon happened, I think that my socials definitely did grow because of that. And I think, I know like during Ruby, it grew a bit too, because my my socials was tagged a lot uh-huh. whenever they promoted something for Ruby. And before Webtoon, I did a lot of, I was in a lot of fandoms <laughs> and that kind of helped a lot in terms of like, not just, I mean, it helped in growth, you know, but because like, if you're multiple fandoms, it might be different, but I, I connected through a lot of artists that became friends that way. It's hard me to to figure out how to grow an audience solely in just original art because it's very very hard mm-hmm. I think the only few there's a few exceptions that that's grown their platform purely on just original art I think they have an appeal to what you know social media likes or what what's like trending right now they're they're really good at engaging with people online I'm not that good at it <laughs> like <laughs> I, cause I kind of just tweet into the void a lot. I don't, I don't make a lot of posts for the sake of um, growing my social media, mm-hmm. but I do know like people don't really follow social media much, at least on Twitter um, for your art. Actually, they follow you like you as your personality. That's what I noticed. Like the, the mm. posts that get the most engagement. If you like, for instance, if I want to post an opinion about Webtoon, those posts get like the most mm. engagement versus like, if I post like a really cool piece of art. Unless that the art is kind of like memeable, yeah. Yeah. I, and I've seen a lot of people do that. How to how to connect with their um, how to bring new readers. Um, if you don't have fan art like a with a pre-existing fan base to connect you, you can at least attach like your characters to um, to memes, which I think is a really smart way of getting people interested. They're like, okay, I understand it's meme, but I've never seen these characters before, so like I'm interested now. Um, mm. And I think like I. I I haven't gone to TikTok yet, but I know TikTok is another example of how to figure out how to connect to a person within like 
10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I know some pe- that's how some people grow their audience in that way, to just keep up with what's kind of trending right now and attach that to their, mm-hmm. um, their personal work and their stories. But I know that's not like for everyone, you know, because sometimes their, their mm-hmm. story or the content might not, they don't want that associated with like the memes or the trends yeah I think for me on for me personally my growth was more like organic in a sense that I've come from other parts of my art career before webtoon I I did want to get to the fan questions but one other question on the originals webtoon world obviously when you become an originals artist you know one of the good things is you get more reach, you get financial support, which is huge for creators. What have been the things that you kind of enjoyed the most? And what do you think are some other things that people may not realize as they become originals artists? Okay, so besides the obvious is the weekly schedule, which is the the biggest part. I think that's like the biggest part of becoming originals is is meeting your deadlines for it. Mm -hmm. Working with an editor also different. Mm -hmm. It is kind of nice to have that second eye because I know I, I struggle with that a lot doing Keep the Spirits. Um, and even like when Fictional Scheme was on Canvas, I was always like, oh, I wish I had an editor <laughs> to be <laughs> like, just to tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. So my editor is, is flexible in, in a way that if I need help, um, like he'll let me ask. But I think he knows that I work best managing my own series. So he mm-hmm. kind of like, he's very hands-off, but it's nice to know, like if you need that second eye, like the, the editor will be there to help you. And I know some other creators have different relationship with the editors in terms of like, they they want more hands-on help with their series, mm-hmm. or there are some editors that are like too hands-on to the point where the creator is a, is, might be a little compromised in a way. But they never force you to make your story in a certain way because mm-hmm. everything they say is, is, is a suggestion. And I, I do want to like tell any creator that's listening to this, if you do get contracted by Webtoon and if you're you know working with an editor, I just want you to know that you could say no. <laughs> you could say no mm-hmm. to any suggestion they make, or you can always work through a certain solution. Nothing they say is like the word of God <laughs> because mm-hmm. I've seen some creators, especially newer artists come into the field and kind of do whatever the editor says and the editor might think that this is what the creator wants which might not be the Mm. case they just don't know like the creator just might not know like they're actually able to say something that otherwise right because yeah your editors actually you're not your boss they're just they're just there to help you right they liked your story for a reason your story shouldn't be compromised in a way that hurts the way you you make your story so i think Mm. that's that's very important for a creator going in webtoon or any creator that, that gets um, even contracted or published. I do think artists should realize they have more of a say than they realize or that they can advocate for themselves a lot more than they realize. Artists are kind of known for being walked on a lot, <laughs> mm. kind of taking advantage or even like to the extreme exploited. I wouldn't say like, you know, in my case, but I think because I've been always good at verbalizing what I like and don't like. Webtoon has been very good about listening. They, I think our creators just need to know they actually can have a voice over their own, their own series. No, it's, it's definitely important for, for people to know. Are you ready to move on to a few fan questions? Yeah. The first one is from Mountain Lake 65. And the question is, were there scenes that you had to remove because it didn't make sense in the story or made it too long? If you did, what was it? Um, I know that we're still very early in fictional skin, so you may not be able to talk about it. So I believe there was um, there was like a letter scene. I think only one letter was in a chapter, but in the canvas version, there were actually two. And I decided mm. to actually take the second letter out um, in the originals because it was kind of filler. I think like parts of it will be brought up, but it, it's not, I don't think it, um, contributed to the story that much. So that's one of the things I remember um, editing out. Even if readers notice it's taken out, I don't think it's still like a problem if uh, if they miss that part. Because in the end, like overall, I don't think um, it contributed to the story much. And it's one of those things when, you know, making an original series, you kind of have to have to learn how to let go of certain scenes um, or else it'll just drag. <laughs> like, and that's one of the things I learned, like, Producing four episodes can take a long time, but only four episodes in is already like technically a whole month for the reader. So that's actually mm-hmm. a long time to to get through a scene. 
I learned that through like Cape of Spirits when I was drawing an action scene. An action scene could t- easily take up like three, four episodes, you know, but then it's going to feel like a three, four, a month long fight scene, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I don't want to read that either. I don't want to read the whole month <laughs> on just one fight scene, you know? So I think like editing down is like absolutely necessary in terms of like pacing. Next question is from Jal Hate. And the question is, which character do you resonate with the most and which character is your favorite to draw? I hope you're doing well and can't wait to see how the story goes. Oh, cool. Probably Finn. It's probably given because he's like a little nerdy artist. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think all of them are pretty fun to draw. I think Jinsei kind of is the most fun to draw actually because he's kind of like the weirdest one, I guess. Mm-hmm. While Finn is like a little too close home to me. So it just feels like an extension of myself. Are you, are you ready to close it out then with our rapid fire questions? Yeah, sure. Which fictional character best describes your personality outside of Finn? Outside you could still say Finn if you wanted, but. I mean, <laughs> you, it's Finn. You could still say Finn if you yeah, wanted. Yeah, I'd say Finn and probably Alex. They're like kind of, maybe if I would split myself into two characters, it would be them. <laughs> What are the three webtoons that you would take with you onto a desert island? I guess my, well, my, one of my favorite webtoons is Cheese in the Trap. It's a very long series. So I guess I would be very occupied. One Piece, because I've <laughs> never, because it's like three Bibles long, like 10 Bibles long. So I've only read like a couple volumes of One Piece. So I'll just bring it, just following the fact that it would keep me occupied. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, my other um, favorite manga is uh, Believe Immortal. I would bring that with me. Yeah. You have given us so much fascinating insight and things that we learned from you today. So Chris, thanks for taking some time. Listener, please check out Fictional Skin. From there, her link tree is there. You'll be able to learn a lot more. And Chris, thank you so much for taking some time to join us today. Mm -hmm. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod.com at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.